0: Uh, Back at it.
1: We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, did you have a good weekend?
0: Oh, I had a great weekend. It was a little wet. It remains a little wet, and it looks like it's going to be a little wet all week. So that kind of puts a damper on my uh, plans. I've got a golf tournament this weekend, so I need to be out practicing. But Mother Nature... Uh, does not schedule itself around golf tournaments. So here we are.
1: Speaking of golf tournaments, before we get to that more golf and all that, uh, we we'll just hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We always appreciate Chris's. It's a great spot down there in Stillwater. So if you're in town, stop by Chris's, get all your cowboy gear for the upcoming football season, the upcoming basketball season. They're going to have you covered at Chris's University Spirit. Speaking of golf, Colby, you know, Victor Hovland, he's just 23 years old. He already has two career PGA Tour wins, neither of which came on American soil. He won in Puerto Rico and he won in Mexico. And now he's won again, this time on the European Tour and just his second career start on the Euro Tour. He wins a a pretty solid against a pretty solid field there at the BMW Invitational over in Germany. So Victor Hovland adds to the uh, trophy case over the weekend. That was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, it was. I said, uh, we did our golf podcast this morning. I'm like, if Victor Hovland leaves the Continental 48, just place the bet. Put the money down. Your return over time is going to be way up because Victor Hovland just wins when he leaves the U.S. He goes over to Munich and pretty much dominated. I mean, he coasted at the end there. He only won by two but Martin Keimer was behind him who shot like 64 on Sunday and he shot 70. So it's not like, I mean, he wasn't going to catch him. Uh, I didn't, I, I wasn't up at four o'clock in the morning watching it, but I did watch all the highlights and he had a couple of shots that were ridiculous. 270 yard three wood lands like four feet from the hole. Just some, some ridiculous things that us mere mortals are not capable of. So he's on a roll. He'll be one of the favorites at the Open Championship here in a couple of weeks. And not only that, Carson, he is going to be an Olympian And there's no reason to think that he couldn't win Olympic gold. I bet he'll be one of the uh, seven to eight top favorites going into the Olympics. And that would be something if a young Victor Hovland were able to, in his first appearance, uh, pretty much still very early on in his career, snatch himself up uh, a medal, whether it be gold, silver or bronze in Tokyo. So I cannot wait for the Olympics to watch Victor Hovland and cheer him on.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a, a huge summer for him because you mentioned at the Olympics, he will be one of the betting favorites uh, over in Tokyo because you're right. He's going to be one of the biggest names and best names in the field. I'm curious to see what the odds will be when, when those come out, but he certainly will have a chance at the podium, certainly have a chance at gold. You mentioned the British Open. He definitely is going to be one of the favorites there and also the Ryder Cup coming up in the fall. So it's a huge, huge, huge stretch for Victor Hovland and he, he really has put together eight or nine months of just world-class golf. He's one of the best players in the world, none. I think he, he's close to the top 10 in the world now, worldwide rankings points-wise, after his finish on the Euro Tour. And I'm curious to see how he performs at the Open. You know, it's been two years since we've seen an Open championship. He played so well at the U.S. Open and the USAM at Pebble Beach, which Pebble Beach would never be confused with, you know, a European uh, British open style golf course, but I will say it does bring in far more iron play, far more around the green play. And that's something that Victor really thrives in. Obviously the iron play, the the long approaches you mentioned, he's, he's, he's probably top five in the world on just long approaches. And there's gonna be plenty of those at the open, but I think the difference for Victor now where he is now in his professional career versus when he first got on tour is, his around the green game is no longer a weakness. And in fact, it's, it's one of his strengths. I think he, he might lead the tour in, in uh, chip-ins from around the green. He's that good at it now. And that's what really kind of steadied his round in the final round at the BMW was he, he missed a few greens. And when, when he did, he knocked it in there close and had some stress-free pars. So I, I cannot wait to see him this summer and specifically in, in the Open Championship. That's gonna be just fascinating to see how he performs there.
0: Yeah, I was curious. You said top five in the world on long approaches. So real fast, I just Googled approach shots from 200 to 225 yards. PGA Tour 2021. Victor Hovland, third in the world in approach shots uh, from 200 to 225, averaging 33 feet from the hole, Carson, from 200 to 225. He's averaging 33 feet from the hole uh, to give you some sort of indication of drop off, like uh, let's go Bubba Watson, who was close in this last week's event. He's tied for 69th in this category at 41 feet, which is a huge difference, 33 feet to 41 feet. Uh, Victor Hovland is so, so good from far away from the green. So i it's weird because he has so much success, but he's streaky. Like He had this early season run where he had Torrey on. Uh, he had another start down in Florida where he was real high up. Hasn't really been high on the leaderboard at the majors this year. So I would like to see him get himself – really into contention Sunday at a major, even if he doesn't win it, it's kind of like baby steps. He's played in several majors now, but he needs to feel that major championship pressure of being in one of the last two groups on Sunday and feel what that feeling is like in his hands. Uh, Because the more times you put yourself there, the more chances you have obviously to eventually close one of those out. So hopefully this year's uh, British open, open championship, whatever you want to call it is the first time that we see him really get himself into one of the final pairings at a major. And who knows, Morikawa did it last year. These young guys, they're not afraid to win. So uh, the sooner he can get it up there on the board, the better because we know from watching past Oklahoma State golfers, the longer you go in your career without a major, the more pressure that ramps up. You got to get that monkey off your back early. It was good to see John Rahm do that a couple of weeks ago. I'd really like to see Victor Holland do it. Me too. And the long
1: approaches you mentioned. And the pressure that you mentioned he was feeling a little bit of pressure at the bmw i know Keimer was only was a few shots back because he finished so early but victor's so fearless in the face of that pressure because on 18 he just he goes for it on a par five just hits a three wood from i think more than 250 yards out you know pin high on the green obviously one in the tournament i mean most most players feeling that type of pressure nursing a two-shot lead would lay up there and Victor's like, nah, I'm hitting three wood and I'm gonna hit on the green. And sure enough, he did. So he, he he does handle pressure well. His two wins were really close wins. He had to drill a long birdie putt for his win at Mayakoba. So I'm fascinated to see how he handles British Open style pressure. And uh, Victor's going to get a couple of weeks off. He says he's going to just hang out in Norway, visit some of his old friends in, in Norway for a couple of weeks and get rested up for the Open Championship. So uh, can't wait to watch him some major championship golf although i'm not looking forward to rooting against him in the ryder cup colby that's going to be a that's gonna be a different experience for us
0: uh i'll be rooting against him in the ryder cup unless he's playing against patrick reed you would you would uh cheer for europe in that scenario is that what you're telling me Uh, So, I mean, I'm obviously cheering heavily for the USA to win the Ryder cup, but I can't cheer for Patrick Reed. I can't do it. I despise everything about who he is. I can't do it. I can't make myself do it, whether it's team, whether it's the other, if Patrick Reed plays four matches, I hope he goes 0 and four and the USA wins a bunch of others. That's obviously me trying to kind of pigeonhole a perfect scenario where I end up double happy, where Reed loses all his matches and the USA still wins. But if it was, if it was Hovland and Reed in singles on Sunday, I'm pulling for Hovland. US has a bunch of other good players. Players that can get it done so i uh i that's the one scenario where i could find myself rooting for a foreigner in the ryder cup well and
1: i think he's going to be such a terror for team europe because he's so good at match play obviously singles uh, alternate shot he played pretty well at times with chris ventura this year the zurich so he, he fits the ryder cup format so well from all of his experience at oklahoma state so uh and You're have just, plenty of opportunities to root for him, I think, in the next 10, 15,
0: 20 years. <laughs> just his happy-go-lucky personality would make him such a great teammate with anybody. I mean, he's – you know, there's some guys on the American team. The American team never gets along as well as the Europeans. There's always three or four guys in the room that can't stand each other. But Victor Hovland, you could pair him with any of the 11 other guys on a Ryder Cup team, and he's just so happy-go-lucky. They'd have a great time, play well. It's just uh, – yeah, he's going to be a great Ryder Cupper for a long time. And I think that, uh, again, back to the Olympics, I think he's got a real shot did you know Carson that yesterday he became the first Norwegian to ever win on the European tour I had no idea that was a uh, he talked about that being a very big deal for him so that's pretty cool yeah there just haven't
1: there haven't been very many Norwegians on at the professional level really I can't even really think of any most of them come from from Denmark or like Torborn Olsen or, or Sweden obviously with Henrik Stenson and Alex Noren and lot of players from from Scandinavia but for some reason Norway hasn't had very many representatives now him and his college teammate Chris Ventura are you know the, probably pretty much the lone representatives and so that it's surprising on the surface but I, I just I can't remember very many players coming from Norway that's why it was I remember when I first read his name playing at OSU I was like Norway I don't think I ever recall someone from Norway playing at the professional level so that it's surprising but also kind of not just because the lack of uh, professionals we've seen come from there but a week ago, he had an eye patch on Colby. He was nursing an eye injury, got sand in it during the U.S. Open, had to withdraw before the cut. Uh, so I posted kind of a meme on Twitter with the, the eye patch saying how it started and then the picture of him with the BMW trophy, uh, how it's going. He, he, he recovered
0: nicely in a week. Yeah, he did. It's one of those things, eye injuries, I don't know if you've ever had, you, you know, scratch your eyeball or whatever. I used to wear contacts. It happened to me several times. It's so bad and so painful when it's happening but it doesn't last that long none of the ones that i ever had lasted that long they all healed up pretty quick as long as you leave them alone and make sure that that it's all good but when it's happening when there's actually something in your eye scratching it it is the worst most excruciating pain so uh he was he tried to fight through it until he realized he wasn't gonna make the cut and then he was like you know what let's get off the golf course go put some eye drops in an eye patch on and uh so glad that he got over that quickly because teed it up a few days later in europe and got himself a win so uh, i think he's playing again before the open championship and then he'll play the open championship over there so he's not coming back uh to the u.s until after the open so he'll be over there for a while and that might be an advantage for him his body will be acclimated to the time you know he's from there so he's kind of used to it so he'll definitely be at the top of my list to watch going into the british Yep,
1: can't wait for that uh, coffee golf i love coffee golf getting up early brewing a pot of coffee and watching the open championship. Again, it's been two years since we've been able to do that. So that'll get us through some of the dog days of summer. And uh, speaking of the summer, Marshall Scott wrote a column for Pistols Firing called Five Summer Storylines Surrounding Oklahoma State Sports. Uh, I just kind of wanted to go through that with you. Number one, the Sauce Show, talking about Avery Anderson. You know, he's going to be the unquestioned head of the snake this year's team some fun pieces around him with caleb boone the other boone twin as well bryce williams isaac likely bryce thompson Rondell walker ma Moncrief. i mean you just list all those names right there colby osu is going to have a lot of depth a lot of young exciting talent but i think it i think marshall's right i just think how avery anderson really what kind of leap he is able to make this year is super intriguing because he he had a slow start to the first half of the year last year and then by the end of the season he was right there with Cade in terms of creating and scoring in crunch time for OSU. So I'm curious to see, does he make a leap into a lottery or a first round type talent, or does he kind of do what he did last year where there was kind of stop start? That's, that's fascinating and a, in a big storyline.
0: Yeah. I think prior to the commitment of both of the Bryce's Bryce Williams and Bryce Thompson to come to Oklahoma state, Bryce Williams, obviously coming back and Thompson transferring in from Kansas prior to that, I think Avery might have been my favorite to lead the Big 12 in scoring next year because he was just going to be the guy that was doing a ton of it. Now with those guys coming in, he might not put up quite those numbers because there's just only one basketball to go around and uh, you'll have other guys that need to handle it and can help you score. But that's going to make the team so much better. I do think Avery Anderson will still spearhead the offense. I I still think he's probably a 16 or 17 point per game guy, which is really good in the Big 12 conference. I do think he'll lead Oklahoma State in score Uh, He and Bryce Williams will be scoring. I think Bryce Thompson's a big X factor because obviously he's a big recruit coming out of Booker T. But then he was injured most of his freshman year at Kansas, and we didn't get to see a ton of him. He didn't play very many minutes. He didn't score much when he was in there. So I think he's a big X factor as to what happens for Oklahoma State offensively. I'm also very curious to see how uh, Mike Boynton manages minutes. I mean, you look at both of the Boone twins, Isaac Likely, Bryce Williams, Bryce Thompson, Rondell Walker, M.A. Moncrief, Donovan Williams, Chris Harris. There's a lot of guys. I'm probably forgetting a couple. There's a lot of guys that have to get minutes. And it'll be really interesting once you get into conference play and the Big 12 and NCAA tournaments, how those minutes are managed. So a lot of question marks for Oklahoma State basketball. But the questions that we're asking now about OSU basketball are a lot more fun than the questions we were asking a couple years ago.
1: Yeah, before it was, are they going to have a, a full roster? Are they going to have? Are they going to have substitutes past two or three guys? So that that certainly is a new, uh, new challenge and a new question. That's certainly more fun to answer for sure. And since we're talking basketball, skip ahead to number three. Mike Boynton on the road again, slash in the air again. You know, COVID kept Boynton from uh, recruiting a lot last year, but he's back at it. Posting his uh, Jays on a plane tweet. He, he likes to post his his clean pair of Michael Jordan shoes posted up in the, uh, the private jet going to recruit. And uh, he's, he's putting in work, Colby. I mean, Keontae George is the number six player in the class out of Louisville, Texas. I think I just saw a tweet today. He's in Stillwater visiting Oklahoma State and Boynton obviously is on the road recruiting a host of top 50 to top 60 uh, recruits. And this is Mike Boynton's season, Colby. He's, he's put in a lot of work since he became the head coach of Oklahoma State We've seen the fruits of that labor with the Cade Cunninghams of the world, the Avery Andersons, and he's back at it with his uh, Jays on a plane. That's a big summer storyline to see what kind of big fish he's going after.
0: Yeah, no doubt. It's it's like I don't think that we've got another Cade Cunningham on the way anytime soon, you know, number one recruit in the country, ninety nine, ninety nine overall rating. But if Boynton can continue to stack these four stars on top of each other and he's got some five stars looking as well, that's what it's all about. It's all about just sustaining talent. It's not about getting one big player. That was a huge boost with Cade. But now it's just about sustaining and continuing to grow and build on what you already have because now the foundation is so strong with those guys that we listed earlier that it's really just about adding a couple of more uh, pieces to the puzzle. And I think that's what Boynton is trying to do right now. And there's some big names that are uh, some big names that are on Oklahoma State's list and are on Boynton's list. So hopefully they can land a couple of those Again, I've said it time and time again, and I'll continue to say it. Who wouldn't want to play for Mike Boyne? The guy's just as as cool as it gets, as genuine as it gets. uh, Who wouldn't want to play for that guy? So the future's bright, and hopefully he's in in Stillwater for a long, long time.
1: Well, and this is what I love to see. You just love to see this. Keontae George, 2022 five-star, is down to five schools. They are Kentucky, Baylor, Texas, Kansas, and Oklahoma State. He's recruiting with the big boys and George, this is the, this is the value of getting a Cade Cunningham. Like, like Boynton did. There's a quote in here from George saying, quote, Mike Boynton really just tells me I could be a lot like Cade Cunningham for them. I could come in and have a good season and prepare myself for the next level. And that's the goal. One of my best friends, Avery Anderson goes there and we talk about college a lot. Boynton just tells us that we could feed off of each other. So he, this is, this is how you do it, man. You, you land a Cade Cunningham and that's, that's your pitch. He's going to be the number one pick in the draft. That's your recruiting pitch. It's, it's very similar to what Calipari was able to do at Kentucky. It just became kind of like an Alabama football type situation where it's like, do you want to go to the NFL? You come play football at Alabama. Do you want to go to the NBA? You come to Kentucky. Well, now Boynton's saying, do you want to be the number one pick in the draft? Come here. I already proven I can, I can do that. So it's, uh, it's cool to see. And that's why that's, that's the value you get in getting a guy like Cade Cunningham with guys like George now seeing what he did with him.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, it's when you get the mega stars, it's hard to have too many of those at once because then, you know, there's only one ball to go around. So if you've got three Cade Cunninghams at once, well, they're not going to be picks one, two, and three in the draft because something's got to give. But if you get one of the Cade Cunningham type guy, and then you get several of the Avery Anderson, Bryce Williams, Bryce Thompson, uh, Matthew Alexander Moncrief, get several of those other guys around him. That's whenever you start to build a complete roster, because I think we can all admit uh, as good as Cade was last year and as good as some guys played around him at times, it was still an incomplete roster, an imperfect roster. and you know Oklahoma State still lacks uh, a true dominant big man in college basketball, like what uh, what Illinois had with Kofi. So it, it's it's about building a complete roster and pieces that fit, and getting that one super high level top ten lottery pick type guy is uh, is kind of what it all hinges on. So if you can get one of those guys coming in every couple of years, you'll be in good shape. Yeah, one more before we move on. Uh, give Gundy his recruiting.
1: Uh, give Gundy his recruiting due. There's been some criticism of Gundy's recruiting in the past. You've heard it right here on this show, but he is off to an excellent start, according to Marshall Scott. All the visits this month have seemingly only solidified that. They do have two four-star tailbacks committed, a highly touted quarterback, a rising six-foot-three corner, and Braylon Presley, you know, Brennan's younger brother, who's one of the best players I've ever seen come out of the state of Oklahoma, who's gearing up for his senior year at Bixby. So, Gundy appears to have uh, upped his recruiting game. I mean, he's, he has gotten skill talent over the years on offense. We, we all know that with the talent losses of the world and the list can go on and on. But it does appear as if just the overall talent uh, depth and scope of it is, is really increased under, under Gundy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, I've, I've been saying you got to give him credit for what he's done since it all blew up last summer. I'm looking at 247 recruiting rankings right now for the 2022 class. Oklahoma State currently sits at 22nd. If they were to finish at 22nd, that would be, I'd have to go back and look at year by year, but I'm pretty sure I did this a year or two ago. I think 22 would be the highest finish Oklahoma State's had since Gundy got there. Again, I would need to go back and verify that. But I mean, Oklahoma State's two school uh, two spots ahead of a school like Missouri right now, three spots ahead of Oregon four spots ahead of Georgia Tech uh, not Georgia Tech Virginia Tech schools that typically out recruit Oklahoma State Uh, so Cowboys are doing a good job right now and it's just you got to keep it rolling it's It's still so early in the process. Oklahoma State's sitting at 11 commits right now. Most schools are between eight and, like, 13. You have an occasional outlier, like uh, Boston College, for example. Boston College uh, is eighth right now in the country in recruiting. Well, it's not because their average player ranking is high. They've got 19 commits. Their average player (laughs) ranking is 86. All the schools around them are in the 90s. So uh, it's more number of recruits there as opposed to – To overall player rankings but oklahoma state's doing really well so hopefully they can keep it rolling gundy's doing a good job
1: speaking of gundy and the football team i want to move on to again you can go read uh, marshall's column on pfb of some other storylines we didn't have time to get to but uh, speaking of football the hardest players for osu's offense to replace in 2021 marshall uh, picked four guys number one i think it's pretty easy and I, i i definitely agree with this tevin jenkins on the offensive line, because we all know the offensive line struggles OSU's had. And you take a first round draft pick, or I guess he was a second round draft pick, should have been taken in the first round. You take a guy of that level of talent from as, as Tevin Jenkins and take him off an offensive line that was pretty hit or miss last year. That that to me is clear and far away that the number one person to replace on the offense for me.
0: Yeah, it is for me as well. Uh, I think there's a clear one on offense and defense and, and Tevin's it on offense because you just – you always knew what you were getting from Tevin. Even when you didn't know what you were getting elsewhere, you always knew what you were getting from him. He was the leader. He was the anchor. And now you had an offensive line that was very so-so with Tevin Jenkins. Now you've got to have an offensive line without Tevin Jenkins. I don't know exactly what that looks like. Hopefully it looks healthy because, like, what we've seen in recent years and in years past is Oklahoma State – has a decent starting five up front. They're not going to win the Joe Moore Award, uh, but they're not going to be a complete and total liability, but then one or two guys to go down on that offensive line. It always happens. It's part of the game, but one or two guys go down on that offensive line, and then there's no experience. There's no depth, and it's like we saw with Rudolph in Washington. Their senior year in that TCU game, they beat Pittsburgh by like 90 points in, uh, in, in Pittsburgh, and then they come back to play TCU first conference game at home, and right guard goes out, right tackle goes out, and you get absolutely dusted because tcu blitzes you on the right side for 60 minutes that just it can't happen sometimes you've got to catch the brakes with injuries and i don't feel like oklahoma state has that offensive line so hopefully whoever the starting five end up being can play most of the season together because that's the one position where i feel like injuries have just decimated oklahoma state in october and november these past few years
1: yeah, you know, and I, they, they've been totally decimated, but I, I did think they played better down the stretch at the end of last year, uh, specifically the bowl game. I thought they, they blocked pretty well. Um, I think, I think Atkins done a decent job and I'm curious to see how they get that offensive line gelling, hopefully earlier than they did in the season. And hopefully they avoid the injury bug like they'd had in the, f- the first game of the year against Tulsa when there they were seven guys out that hadn't played the certain positions they were putting them in. And it was kind of a, kind of a musical chairs situation there. But can't wait to see Tevin in the NFL, playing Chicago. Uh hopefully, hopefully blocking for uh the uh field instead of Andy Dalton, because for some reason the Bears are still talking about Andy Dalton being the quarterback, which is I just love Andy
0: Dalton. Ginger's gotta stick together.
1: I yeah, the, the Red Rocket, hopefully uh he'll be carrying a clipboard and Tevin yeah. will be blocking no, I'm, for the I'm field a huge
0: instead. Uh, I'm a huge Andy Dalton fan, but yeah, I think it would be crazy to play Andy Dalton over Justin Fields.
1: I think it's a little crazy here that Marshall has Chuba Hubbard number two. I would have gone Tylen Wallace. Where do you stand?
0: I would have flip-flopped him. I was thinking the same thing. I was curious as to what you thought. Uh, mainly because, you know, we saw last year. Now, two years ago, Chuba, if you'd asked me one year ago today who would be a harder player to replace, I'd have said Chuba, obviously, but last year, he just wasn't the same. He had little nagging injuries, uh, didn't end up finishing out the season. LD Brown was so good in replacement. Desmond Jackson was so good. Now they've got Jalen Warren coming in. Still have Dominic Richardson, who's a really good player and probably is going to be fourth on the depth chart at running back. I think what you have behind Chuba makes him a little bit easier to replace, especially because I think LD Brown is really, really good, and I can't wait to see him getting 20 touches a game. Uh, Tylan, on the other hand, he was just such a safety blanket for Spencer Sanders. I mean, there were times where Spencer Sanders, who, uh, we know has three to five throws a game where you, you just scratch your head and you think what, what happened there? What, what could he have possibly seen? Well, there were a lot of times where you don't have to read the defense with Tylen Wallace. You just look out there. Okay. Tylen's to my right. I'm going to throw it to him. I, I just think that is so, so tough to replace. And we saw a great bowl game performance. We saw great performances late in the season from Tay Martin and Brendan Presley, but it's very small sample sizes. We don't know if o- Oklahoma State is going to have a true star at receiver like Tylen. So uh, I think we're on the same page. I would have flip flopped those two.
1: Yeah, I agree. And uh, yeah, I mean, Chuba two years ago was should have been a Heisman finalist, obviously he should have won the, the Doak Walker as well. But the way their offense is set up, you just, you mm-hmm. had to have Tylen Wallace on the outside. And as much as I like Tay Martin, I don't think he's going to be as a consistent of a, of a playmaker as obviously Tylen Wallace was. So I think that is going to be something that through the first two, three, four games, they're going to have to figure some things out. Whereas I think the running back position group isn't going to have the star power of a Chuba Hubbard. It's going to look a lot different in that it's going to be a committee, but I like a lot of the parts of that committee. You mentioned LD Brown. He looked great last year. Desmond Jackson looked like a, like a workhorse for a couple of games when he got his shot and Dominic Richardson, I just love, he, he played really well at times last year. And, and this Jalen Warren kid, I think is going to dip into a lot of the playing time, especially on third downs and, and in passing situations. I think he's going to be an excellent option receiving the football at running back so it's not going to have they're not going to have the workhorse that gets over a thousand yards most likely because it's going to be more of a committee but I think that's a good thing in in the modern day you know game of college football and even in the NFL like committees is kind of how things operate and I like the committee in that they're all kind of different you know the LD Brown's different than Desmond Jackson and Warren and Richardson are different than those three so those two guys so I I like the the makeup there but I would definitely have Tywin there because past Brennan Presley there's just and Tay Martin, a little bit. We had a small sample size with Tay Martin. Past those two, it's a complete unknown. So I would definitely have Tylan number two.
0: Yeah, I think so too. And then I think number four, probably pretty much in agreement, is just the uh, the one that's left, and that's Dylan Stoner. I mean, Dylan Stoner's been very solid, but it was a weird dynamic with Stoner because every time Tylan went out and he was the number one, I mean, he, was, he would absolutely light it up. He would just light it up. But then there'd be games where Tylen would be out there and he would disappear for three to four games at a time. He'd have a three or four game stretch where he has six or seven catches for 72 yards and no touchdowns. So uh, I don't know what he looks like at the next level, but uh, I, I love Dylan Stoner. He had a great career at Oklahoma State, but it was, uh, I still think it was odd the way his role never seemed concrete. Am, am, am I explaining that the way I, I hope I am? His role just seemed to fluctuate so much. No, it did. And he was, you know,
1: he'd always he's always been labeled as like a slot guy. But his best game, that Baylor game where he just went nuclear, he was playing essentially like the Tylan Wallace role on the outside and was beating guys deep, making, you know, circus catches over defensive backs in the end zone. I I just think he was a little miscast as a possession wide receiver when I think he could have been utilized much more down the field than he was throughout his career. And I think that's That's something that when you say we're replacing Dylan Stoner, you almost tend to just assume, okay, slot receiver possession, move the chains when some of my most more fondest memories of him were him, you know, running fly patterns down down the field and specifically that Baylor game where he just looked like Justin Blackman (laughs) against Baylor. So I'm looking forward to watching him in the NFL. I think he's going to make the Raiders and he's going to surprise a lot of people.
0: Yeah, I still remember his senior year. Uh, I was on the radio call for the state championship game and he played all 48 minutes. 12-minute quarters in high school. He played all 48 minutes. He was the punter for Jinx. He played quarterback, receiver, he was the kick returner, he was the holder on PATs. He I there was not he was on the field for 48 minutes and I thought to myself, "What is this guy's actual position like what does he actually do the best because for jinx he did everything and we saw what he did the best at oklahoma state he beats people on the edge that's what he did the best now you get to the nfl and you've got corners all over the field that run four three two maybe you don't uh maybe you don't beat those guys down the field but i still think that there's a place for him at the next level because he just does too many things well it seems like to me to be a cfl guy or something like that i i think he'll make it in the nfl Uh, i don't think he'll ever be an all pro guy i don't think we'll be having a conversation in, in 10 years about whether he should be in the hall of fame but i think he'll be a steady player in the nfl for several years and uh there's absolutely nothing wrong with that a lot of guys would love to have a good solid career in the nfl that
1: stoner man he can play man i can just hear gruden already turn uh, that's, that's, that's not a bad gruden i like that stoner man he can play uh okay. Uh, that's my it for my impressions for the week. Uh last thing before we get out of here, Colby, favorite memory of the past ten years for Oklahoma State Athletics. This was a tweet sent out by PFB. It got a lot of traction on social media. Just your favorite Oklahoma state sports memory of the last decade.
0: Yeah, it's can I break it down by sports? Because I think it's so unfair. Sure to have to pick by sport. So for basketball, I was working for Fox rolling cable underneath the basket for the Oklahoma State-Missouri game where Markel Brown dunked on the dude's head and got ejected. And (laughs) when I tell you that my brain couldn't process any more noise, it was—I mean, I was right under the basket. I—he, Markel Brown, almost landed on me whenever he came down on the ground, and it was unbelievable to watch him do what he did. And then basically all he did was shoot the guy one little glance and got ejected on the technical. Uh, but then what happened? Oklahoma State went on and beat that number two ranked Missouri team. Students rushed the court, so that was probably my favorite basketball memory uh, of the last decade. Uh, Golf would have been winning the national championship at Carson Creek. I was standing on the fringe on number fifteen whenever Matthew Wolf made. The Put to clinch it for oklahoma state football is a tough one man there are a couple of contenders uh the punt return I, I have so many mixed feelings about because of the way tyreek's tenure at oklahoma state ended uh but 2011 bedlam for me carson probably uh would have been it it was an unbelievable culmination of the greatest team that we've seen in Oklahoma State history. It was my freshman year at Oklahoma State. I started dating my now wife uh, about one week before that game was played. So that was the first game that she and I went to together, uh, rushed the field, all that good stuff. So uh, those would be those three. And then baseball would be, actually I've got a baseball and a softball for you. Baseball is Trevor Boone uh, hitting the lights out in Bricktown against Nebraska. That was just, oh, chills just thinking about it. And then softball, with Samantha Schau almost causing an earthquake, an earthquake when she spiked her bat after she hit a home run. So uh, that's that's probably my favorite going sport by sport, and I'm sure I've missed a few in there. Nick Piccinini at uh, at gallagher Arena was a great one for wrestling. So I'm sure I've missed some, but those are a handful of my favorites.
1: Yeah, 2011 qualifies. Um, you know, I graduated from Oklahoma State in 2008, kind of when Gundy was first starting to get things rolling and – for whatever reason, that year in 2011, I covered just about every single Oklahoma State football game. You know, normally it's about half and half. But back then we had three people to where I was basically on the OSU beat and I went to like every road game. Obviously, the Bedlam game, being down there on the field, seeing OSU fans storm the field after beating Oklahoma and winning a Big 12 championship was just something that just you could just feel in the building that not a lot of people ever expected to happen even though they culminating in that game, they, they were favored to win. Even when they were up big, just a lot of people just have so much scar tissue with bedlam and, and losing to OU that it was just kind of this 60,000 people just taking a huge sigh of relief and celebrating all at once. Cause they had finally won a, a conference championship and finally beaten Oklahoma. That that's a memory that will always stick in my brain. But, but for me, it was just being on the road with that 2011 team. I got to know a lot of the guys on the team I was one of the few reporters on the road with them every single week. And when you're on the road, the game that kind of sticks out to me randomly is the Missouri game. Not a lot of people remember the Missouri yeah, game in Columbia, but they were, they weren't looking very good in that game. They didn't play very well. They were down at, at, at one point in that game. They come back and win and you're just kind of, when you're on the road, like it's not glamorous at all. Like the visitors locker rooms are always pretty run down and there's just not a lot of things around it to where, I'm, it's basically me, the team, and the opposing fans. It's almost like you're kind of in that bubble with Oklahoma State when you're on the road with them. And I'll never forget Whedon running up the tunnel and just giving a huge fist pump looking at me going, we won that one, and we're not going to get beat this year. And then I, I kept covering all the road games. And then I, I, I'll always remember this, too. After the Texas Tech game, they beat Texas Tech 66-6. All they have left is Iowa State. Whedon threw for like a billion yards in that game and 40 mile an hour wins. And I said, do you think you should be in New York for the Heisman? And he he gave a great answer, said he should. And at that point, a national championship seemed possible. And for the first time in my entire life and surely everyone else's lives that follows OSU football, everything in the world seemed possible. And it was just, it's something that was, was a real thrill of mine career wise, but also being a kid that went to Oklahoma State and saw some really bad football over my years. It was just a, an absolute joy ride and, and culminated with that that bedlam win at home. And even after that bedlam win, Colby, I thought, hey, they've done enough. Like Alabama had their shot, as Mike Gundy said. So I thought even at that point they might sneak in. But that that football season is something that that I'll just I'll never forget. It was such it was so much fun.
0: Yeah, it was. It was magic, man. It was crazy. And like you said, as as Oklahoma State fans who had suffered through so much bad football, it was you know, people say, act like you've been there before. A of us had been there before. We didn't know how to act. We were acting <laughs> like damn fools. We had no idea what to do. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Hopefully, we get to experience it again someday. Yeah, no doubt. Colby, we'll get back with you uh, later in the week. Uh, sounds good. Actually, we might not. It's July 4th week. I'm going to be out oh, of that's town. that's right.
1: That's yeah. right. Everybody, yeah.
0: enjoy your 4th of July.
1: Colby, you do the same. We'll catch up with you after the holiday season.
0: Absolutely. Happy fourth, as always. Go Pokes.